In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajjil farajahum. Dear respected viewers, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And welcome to our regular gathering where this week inshallah we will be uh, going over one of the topics that were proposed uh, last time we met uh, i thought uh, it was an important topic inshallah you find it relevant uh, and from there we'll see where inshallah if we have a little bit of time for a little bit of a discussion or questions and answers uh, related to this topic uh, that would be great as well. Uh, and we also have uh, a question that was asked on the group. So inshallah, we'll answer it quickly, maybe towards the end of the uh, of this talk. Uh, it's not directly relevant to it. So the topic that uh, we're going to be discussing today, and the question that we had last time we we met, had to do with the notion of uh, what does it really mean for us to say that we are waiting for the Imam? Or in another way to ask the question, what does it mean for us to say that we are preparing for Imam al-Mahdi What does it mean to say we are preparing? What does preparing for Imam al-Mahdi What does it look like? So this is what we're trying to address today. And of course, once again, this is a very big topic. And, uh, you know, for the little time that we have, 40 minutes or so, we're basically going to give a very high-level overview. But inshallah, we're going to touch on the all the important aspects or main points that should be part of this answer. Now, each one of these could become a lecture on its own or even a book on its own. And there are so many good works and lectures and series of lectures on this topic. So... Uh, you know, we're not claiming here that uh, we're going to be comprehensive in the matter in which we're going to be dealing with this topic. But I think, inshallah, it's still going to provide you the main elements uh, of a response. So, let's begin with this notion of waiting for Imam al-Mahdi, sharif That's the question. What does it mean to say that we are waiting for the Imam? How do we wait? Or when we say that we are preparing for Imam al-Mahdi, what does it mean to say we're preparing? What does preparing for the Imam look like? So <clears throat> the first point I think that needs to be well understood and well kept in mind is that there is a notion in our uh, belief system in Islam, there's a very important notion that is referred to as now, we may think that this is just a word, you know, it just means waiting. But waiting is not just this word that I wait for the Imam. It's a little bit more complex than that. In fact, if you go back in, in Islamic literature and the narrations, and you really put all of the uh, mentions of the, uh, you know, act of waiting for Imam together and you start to uh, 
uh, understand what they mean taken together, you see that this is a deep topic. It's an important Islamic notion, and it includes with it an entire program of, you know, uh, uh, there's a knowledge component to it, and there's an action component to it. There's a theoretical, there's a spiritual, and there is an action uh, component to it, and then we're going to go through that very quickly, inshallah, today. But there, there's, it's an entire value. It's a value with a kind of like a full school or a very complex notion with branches uh, in all sorts of areas of life. All of it included in that word, which is intilaq. And just to give you the the uh, proper, you know, depth of it, consider the fact that it is considered one of the best forms of worship in the narrations, we are told. Uh, this intibar, this act of waiting for uh, the arrival of Imam al-Mahdi, this act of waiting is a sacred act that is considered one of the best acts of worship. One. Two, uh, we are told in the narrations that the person who properly waits for Imam al-Mahdi, as they should, they are like the person who has completely sacrificed all their blood in the narration, all of their blood for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so this is what, the reason we're saying this, it's not to explain what those specific narrations mean, but to give you a, an idea of the depth of this notion. How could we, simply by waiting for Imam al-Mahdi faraja, be equivalent to someone who has sacrificed their blood for the sake of the, for, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or on the other side, how can simply waiting for Imam al-Mahdi faraja be one of the best acts of worship? That's what we're trying to find out. So that already tells us that there's a lot more to this notion than maybe what we might think initially by saying simply waiting for the Imam simply means waiting for the Imam. Uh, by the way, there's someone who's not muted, so please mute yourselves so that uh, it doesn't uh, disrupt the, for the others. Um, so there is a certain notion here, there's a depth to this notion that if I'm waiting, it's more than just waiting. There's an act of anticipating, expecting a certain future to come, which, but it's not a passive form of waiting. I just don't wait and see what happens and the future will come. It means that I'm going to prepare for it. It means I'm going to plan for it and do what I need to do on my side. It means taking action so that that future actually happens. It's kind of like saying, you know, you want to get into business and what you expect or what you wait for is to make a profit. Yeah, but you have to do something about it. The profit is not just going to come to you. You need to do something, take action, plan, prepare, put, set the ground so that that profit comes to you. It's the same thing. If you are awaiting, it's in the sense of anticipating and expecting a certain result. You have to move towards that. That's the act of waiting. This is what's referred to. And this is why we have to start differentiating between the active form of waiting and a negative form of waiting. Or to say it in another way, to differentiate between active, you know, a positive or active waiting versus passive waiting. Passive basically means in language, when you say something is passive, it means that when there's an action, the action is being done on you. 
when you are in active form, it means that you're the one who's the actor, who's performing the action. This is the difference between active and passive. If I am active, I am performing the action. If I am passive, the action is being performed on me. And so basically I wait and life unfolds and history unfolds. And under the pretext that I am waiting for the Imam. This is a passive waiting. No one wants this. This is not what is expected. This is not what's going to make you among those who wait. And that waiting act is considered one of the best acts of worship. This is not an act of worship. You're being passive. You're not doing anything. This is not waiting. And there's a link here that we don't have time to make in detail, but just to highlight it quickly, there's a link to be made with the idea or the notion of hope. And increasingly, as humanity moves towards the end of times, clearly life is becoming more and more difficult. And life as a true believer, as someone who wants to maintain the value system that they're supposed to maintain and live their lives according to that value system is going to be more and more difficult as history unfolds and go and we go through time. And so as things become more and more difficult, what allows a human being to have resilience and to have strength and to have the power to stand up to this current going against them and that should erode that value system and that should erode their action and their, uh, you know, how they're supposed to be, that belief system that they're supposed to have. And the answer, the short answer to this is the idea of hope. You are living in a hope of something. So there's a kind, there's a component to this that is beyond this world. There's a hope that goes beyond this world, which is what I hope to achieve in the afterlife. But there's also a hope in this life. And as we explained in the last lecture, which had to do with we explain that there's a promise from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that his divine rule and absolute justice will be established on this earth. There's a hope there. If I am certain that this is going to happen, it's not like living in a, in a, in a context or in a state where I'm not sure what's going to happen. And as I see the corruption and the difficulties of this world, I become more and more hopeless and I just give up. What's the point of fighting? when there's so much corruption and so much evil and so much difficulty. And this is the difference between someone who, say you're, you know, someone is, is, is on a ship and that ship suddenly sinks and they are left all alone in the ocean. You can only swim so much and you can only hope for so much after a while, you're probably going to give up and say, okay, I'm done. Imagine at that moment, the difference between someone who feels that they are completely exhausted, that they cannot go on anymore, the difference between that person who they look around and they see that it's completely hopeless and the other person in the same exact situation who suddenly hears from very, very far away, maybe someone calling out in a microphone and a loudspeaker and they hear them, they hear their name, they're calling them and they're saying, we are coming to get you. Hold on, we will be there eventually. You don't know when that is going to be. It may be hours. It may be, I don't know, a day later. But knowing that is going to completely change your state of mind and it's going to give you that hope. And that's going to feed your resilience and feed your strength because you have that hope. Imam Mahdi Ajahn Allah Farajah is that hope. 
but you have to maintain that relationship with the imam and know where he fits into your value system and your belief system. And this is what's going to allow you to go through any difficulties that you may encounter because you know he's there and you know what he's working towards and you feel that you are part of that. Okay, so this is the quick link to hope that we don't have time to, to expand on right now, but just to leave it with you because I think it's an important notion. Now, all of this said, this is kind of like the, the introduction. All of this said, what does all of this mean? Waiting for the Imam, waiting actively, waiting positively for the Imam. What does it actually mean? Concretely, day to day, what does it mean for me to say that I'm going to live in a way that is going to be considered as going in that direction of waiting equals one of the best acts of worship as though you are completely sacrificing all your blood for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does that mean concretely? So this is where you need to come up with an action plan for yourself. You have to come up with a program or an action plan that has certain ingredients that puts some things together and that all of it together becomes your actions, the concrete actions that you take. So what is expected of me in terms of action? What is required of me in terms of action so that I am moving in that direction? The first thing that I would start with is you need to know the Imam. So before you get to the Imam, you need to know your religion. You need to know the system of you know, Quran, you need to know the system of imamah and prophethood, and then you get to the imam. And then the more you understand the imam, the better of a relationship and the stronger and the more clear of a relationship that you have with the imam of your time, the more you are going to act in the right way. And so here, knowing the imam, there is a theoretical component. You need to feel comfortable with your knowledge about Imam al-Mahdi That's one. There's a theoretical component. But it goes beyond that. You need to have a constant, important, constant, regular link with the Imam. Yes, there's an intellectual component to this, but there's an emotional link. The Imam is not just an idea. The Imam is an actual human being. Just like you would have a specific personal relationship, intimate relationship with someone that you know. You need to get to know the Imam in that way and to think of the Imam in that way. You feel that they are present. They're not a, an abstract idea. They are a human being and they are your Imam. And you are one of their followers and one of their supporters. You have to link that emotionally and intellectually for yourself. You have to reach a point where you feel that you are aware of the presence of the Imam of your time, ideally at all times. And imagine how powerful that would be for your life. Imagine how powerful it would be for your life to know to everything that you do, every decision you're about to make, every good act or haram act that you're about to do, you know the Imam is right there. How does that change your life? Well, if it's not like that, it means already right now, it means you have work to do. So that you actually feel that the Imam is there. You feel the presence of the Imam in your daily lives. And there are a lot of things that you can do to improve on that. Do you have a certain ritual that connects you to the Imam if you don't create one? Do you have a certain relationship with the Imam? In our hadith, in our narrations, you have in the events of the year, there are 
ziyarat and there are ad'iyah that you're supposed to perform at different times to connect you to the imam. You have weekly acts that you're supposed to do to connect to the imam. Yawm al-Jum'ah, the Friday, is supposed to be dedicated to Imam al-Mahdi, if you want to split the days over Ahlul Bayt, the Friday is supposed to be dedicated to Imam al-Hajj, and so for that, you have a trick. You simply need to ensure that every Friday, for instance, you have the recitation of Dua al-Nudbah. Make it a habit, a weekly habit in your normal program that you make time for Dua al-Nudbah every week, every Friday. This needs to be part of your ritual. You have the Dua of Al-Ahad that you're supposed to recite right after Salat al-Fajr for 40 days and in fact for all of your life. This is going to link you to Imam al-Mahdi from the beginning of your day. Imagine how your day would be when you wake up and this is one of the first acts that you do. You perform your prayer and then you read. You take five minutes to read Dua al-Ahad. And that's it. You are connected to the Imam. And then of course you can remember him. But you need to make an effort and put the Imam somewhere in your life. You need to make sure that the Imam exists and you have created a system that allows you con that to connect with the Imam at all times. Okay? So these are the kind of quick tricks. In addition to this, so you have your, your weekly ritual, you have your daily ritual. You have to remember what we said when we said, what are the main reasons for the ghaybah? And we explained that one of the main reasons for the ghaybah is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as the imams have told us, wants to test humanity, wants to test the people. Everybody claims to be a believer, but are they truly a believer? Well, the ghaybah is going to be so long and become so difficult that those who are going to maintain their faith, we are told, it's as though they are holding on on a piece of coal, red hot coal. Who can hold on to that for a very long time? You can't, you get burned. That's how difficult it would be to maintain your faith. Now, if you keep that in mind, you keep in mind that you were born at a time in history, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose for you to, born in, to be born at this time of history, where those human beings will live now, this is their test. Their test is they are being tested with the fact that their imam is not present among them. They do not see him, they do not interact with him on a regular basis. If you keep that in mind, if you're fully aware of that all the time, you need to keep yourself in check. How do you feel that you are performing in this test? You are in a test right now. Yes, there is the general test of going through life. But what about the test of living in the time of Ghaybah? How are you handling yourself? Do you feel that you're passing the test? How well are you passing the test? Are you getting 51%? Are you getting 80%? How do you rate yourself? And if you feel that you are not performing in a satisfactory manner, you know that you have work to do there. Okay? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as we said, He wants to filter and work out the people who are truly faithful, who are truly of those who are going to be the companions of the Imam, versus those who, you know, empty cheap talk and, and claims, versus those who actually are going to be his companions and worthy of that title. Okay, so that's one. And this all has to do with knowing and spiritual preparedness. The second part is you need to take action. And taking action means at the individual level. At one level, there is a religious work that you need to do. We mentioned a, a little bit of that. There are rituals that you need to 
make sure are part of your daily life, of your weekly life, of your monthly life, so that you are constantly connected with the Imam. But you also need to do things that we may not consider religious. And remember now, we talked about Islam being an all-encompassing system, a lifestyle. If you have that in mind, then you understand that even those things that may not look like they are religious, you need to turn them into religious actions with an intention of purifying yourself and getting closer to God and being a better follower of the Imam as you perform those actions. They can be as simple as working out and playing and spending time with your friends. There is a twist that you can do to those that makes them even those actions as spiritual actions. When you spend time with brothers in faith, when you spend time to relax and to appease yourself and to make your family happy and to create stronger bonds in the community, you can do that while you know resting and relaxing and chilling and doing all those things that you enjoy doing. There's a spiritual twist that you can put to that that at least brings you in that general religious environment, okay? Then beyond all of this, you also have the things that seem to be a little bit more serious. There's all the business and work that you do. Why are you accumulating wealth and money? What do you want to do with it? What's your ultimate aim? Why do you work out? Why do you study? Why do you work? What is your purpose, generally speaking? What actions are you taking for yourself to get your life in order? You need to get your life in order if you want to believe that you are part of a larger mission. If your life is a complete disaster, if your things are not organized, if you sleep until noon every day, you cannot be part of the mission of Imam al-Mahdi. That doesn't work. These, you cannot consider yourself, you would not accept that. If someone came to you and you felt like, you know what, by all standards, this person looks like they're a loser right now. They look like their life is in disarray and disorganized and they're not disciplined. They're not getting back on track. Well, you need to work on yourself there, get yourself back on track, plan your time, plan your life, work on the things. You're allowed to play and you're allowed to chill and you're allowed to have pleasure. All of that is good, but it needs to be in proportion. It needs to be part of a larger system so that you actually feel satisfied with yourself that this is part of a larger mission, that you are a part of a larger mission. You are playing a role in the mission of Imam al-Mahdi. You need to be productive. You need to work with an aim and that you fit in the larger program. Okay, and always remember, Islam is all-encompassing. So every aspect of your life, you need to have that. From eating junk food, to working out, to working and finding a career, and all of that fits into how does this fall into my relationship with Imam al-Mahdi, okay? So that's one point. The next point is, again, under the, the general heading of actions to take, now that you've sorted yourself out, so you worked spiritually on yourself, then you worked spiritually with a spiritual twist on your life, Okay, let's call it the non-religious, the non-strictly religious. You've done that, you feel that things are in order, you have a relationship with the imam, your life is in order. Now you need to step up and play a leadership role. You need to play a role in your family, in your community, in your society, in the world, each according to their own capacity. Okay, but you need to play a role. You have a duty. You have a responsibility. You're accountable. If you want to claim that you are part of the mission of Imam al-Mahdi, then you have to be able to say, and this is the role I'm playing. 
And I can't tell you, me, Jafar, I can't tell you what that role is. You need to sort that out for yourself. What is your contribution? Sit tonight and think, what do I want my contribution to be to Imam al-Mahdi, to his mission, to moving this planet, the history of humanity in that direction? What am I contributing? What am I doing to move things in the right step? One little step, and this is my contribution. And it's always ongoing. And inshallah, it becomes a bigger step in the future. But what can I do right now to keep things moving in the right direction? And this is where I need to step up. Everybody needs to feel like they are playing a role of leadership. You need to sort that out for yourself. One person is going to contribute with money. One person is going to contribute with knowledge. One person is going to contribute with time, with energy, with all sorts of other things that you, you serve your people, you serve this religion, you serve the mission of Imam al-Mahdi. Okay? This needs to be part of your general awareness and plan and program and relationship with the Imam. The point that we need to understand, yes, when we talked about the, the mission of the Imam, we said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised in all the scriptures, including the Holy Quran, that those who have been abused and those who have been oppressed and those who have been deprived on earth are the ones who are going to inherit this earth. They are the, going to be the Imams. They are going to be the ones who inherit the land, right? We read the verses. Now, at the same time, don't expect for a second that there's this other law there's a principle, there's a rule that our religion and our Qur'an have given us that suddenly that one does not work anymore, that it doesn't apply anymore because Allah has promised that those who are weak are going to inherit and those who are righteous are going to rule. What is that rule? What is that principle? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says clearly in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is never going to change the state of a people until they decide to change their own state themselves. They have to change their own condition. You have to move in that direction and Allah will help you. But if you don't move in that direction yourself, nothing is going to come to you out of its own, just randomly like this. This is a principle. This is a rule that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you. This is a key to understand history and to understand yourself. So what are you doing to move in that direction? Move your family, move your community, move society, move humanity in the direction of eventually those who are righteous are going to rule the land. What are you doing? Are you doing so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can say, yes, those are people who want to change and who are acting to change their condition. Therefore, I will support them and I will help them move in that direction. Until that happens, we cannot claim to be followers of the Imam. That's what the Imam needs. The Imam cannot come and do all the work himself. He's not doing it for himself. He's doing it for a society that is ready to receive that. Enough people, a critical mass of people in society ready to receive that and then the Imam can come and he will have that critical mass of supporters who can change the world with him. Okay, so keep all of that in mind. Now, I'm not going to go into too much more detail here. All I'm going to say is sometimes all of this is linked back to the notion of being successful. You need to have power. You need to have authority. You need to have positions, key positions in society, whether it has to do with finance or commerce, it has to do with communications and media, it has to do with political positions, science, industry, technology, so on and so forth. You need to take those positions. I would only say that 
experience has clearly shown, and the Quran supports this idea, that those who have more power, and those who have more authority, and those who have more luxury and comfort and and uh, the ability to do something are usually also the ones who perform the most sins with what they have. So the only thing I would mention here is be careful so that when you act, don't get tricked into thinking, I'm going to become rich and powerful so that I use it for good and you end up not using it for good. You end up not doing anything with it. You need to do something with it to satisfy yourself and not live with that guilt and to satisfy Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so long as you're moving in that direction, things are good. Live the best life you can, the, be the most success, successful you can be, but keep those intentions in line with that general program. Know where you fit in and why you're doing what you're doing. Okay, just a quick caveat. We continue. The last point I wanted to mention here is Sometimes we may think now, based on everything I said, someone will say, okay, so tomorrow I'm going to start on all social media and I'm going to release documentaries and write things and be an activist and tell the world the imam is coming and get ready. No, no, no. That's not what we're saying. Very important notion. If you are a follower of Ahl al-Bayt, if you are a true Shia of Imam Ali alayhi salam all the way to Imam al-Mahdi then you need to be one of their true followers, which also means being smart and being strategic and understanding how to act in the best way and in the most productive and beneficial way. You can't just sacrifice yourself for nothing. You can't do things that harm you or harm others just because you think, yeah, but I said what I had to say. Yeah, but was it worth it? Was the advantage that you received out of this worth the sacrifice or not? And this is where you need to be smart. You need to be truly understanding of the spirit of our religion to know where to put energy and when to talk loudly and when not to talk loudly and when to be on the radar and when not to be on the radar. This requires experience and requires studying and requires strategy, requires work together. Okay, so this is something that we say and allow me to seal all of this topic with the notion, the narrations that would come to us, so many of them, let's say from Imam al-Sadiq when he is asked, at some point Imam al-Sadiq, when he talks about the ends of time, the end of times, he says, uh, you know, he starts to explain to his followers all these difficulties and all these wars and battles and disease and, 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 that will happen at the end of times. And so his, his followers, in some of the narrations, they ask him, so what are we supposed to do? So you'd think, you know, all these groups are fighting. You want, you want to join some of them. You want to say, I want to fight with those against others. And the Imam says something that is key, according to me, to understand this. He says, if I were you, I would preserve myself until his appearance. Uh, so this is a key. It means that you need to be very smart. Not everything is about just jumping into the, you know, the, the crisis or the fire or the difficulty and thinking that this is the, the smart, right move to do. There are times when you need to back down. You need to be a lot smarter and maybe work in indirect ways, always with that mission. You can't use that as a pretext. It's not an excuse to become passive, but you have to be smart in a way that the imams are proud of how you conduct yourself, how you analyze the situation and decide to put your energy in the right place and in the right way. Okay, so keeping all of this in mind, someone may object and say, okay, well, all of this seems to be very abstract theoretical notions. Who says that we're supposed to do all of this? Where is this? And so maybe very quickly, I wanted to link everything I said 
and we don't have time, of course, to go through all of the details. I want to link all of this with some narrations. And I don't have time to go through the narrations now. I have a few minutes. I want to use them to, to come kind of wrap up the topic with you. If you go back to the thousands of narrations that have to do with Imam al-Mahdi, you're going to see that there is a mention of three types of people who are associated with Imam al-Mahdi and his movement and his revolution. The first type of people, the first category of people related to Imam al-Mahdi's mission are the people that we can refer to because that's how they're referred to in the narrations as al-muwatti'un. Al-muwatti'un basically means those who prepare. This is even before the appearance of the Imam, there are people who are going to appear and they are going to work to prepare the grounds for the Imam And then other narrations talk about other people associated with the Imam and those are the people that are referred to as Ashab al-Imam al-Mahdi and those people, the companions of Imam al-Mahdi in some narrations we are told, they are the ones who are going, in some narrations, to carry his banner. They are the ones who are going to be, in another narration, the rulers on God's earth. Okay, what does this tell us? And in other narrations we're told there's 313 of them. So the companions of the Imam, these are the best of the best of the people who are going to be directly working with the Imam for his whole mission and whole revolution. Okay, so you have the people who prepare, you have the people who are the companions, and you have the third category of people that are referred to in the Ruwayat as Ansar, Ansar al-Imam Faraja, the supporters of Imam al-Mahdi In some narrations, for instance, we're told when the Imam begins his mission from Mecca, when he first appears, he will not leave Mecca until 10,000 supporters have gathered with him. Okay, and in other narrations, we're told that 12,000 or 15,000, but he will not leave until at least 10,000 have gathered around him. And of course, the thousands and tens of thousands after that will join the mission of the Imam. This is just the very beginning. But all of this to say that there is clearly, there is clearly what a, a categorization, a grouping of the people associated with the Imam. You have the people who prepare for the advent of the Imam, the Muwatti'un, you have the people who are the closest of the close to the Imam, and those are the Ashab al-Imam. These are the distinct, unique, special uh, companions of the Imam. And then you have the general mass of supporters and followers and Shia of the Imam. And when we pray, when we read our ad'iyah, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of those who are with the Imam, we're usually referring to that last category, to be of the Ansar of the Imam, to be of the supporters of the Imam. Okay, we tell Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Dua al-Faraj, in Dua al-Ahad, other ad'iyah, when we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of those who follow the Imam. This is what we mean, to be of his followers and his supporters. Okay, now why am I saying this? I'm saying this because the more you dig into the narrations, the more you see that they've been described, those people. All those people have been described in the narrations. We need to compare ourselves to that description. We have a benchmark. We know who those, what those people are going to be, what they're, how they're going to conduct themselves. And I need to look at myself and see how close or far am I of being one of those people who are the supporters or who are the companions of the Imam or who are one of those who are going to be preparing the ground for the Imam. 
Okay. We are told in some of the narrations, for instance, that they are extremely knowledgeable. They are like fuqaha in some narrations, we're told. Fine. So I need to work on my knowledge all the time. And inshallah, we're all doing that. That's one. We're also told that those people are extremely obedient to Imam al-Mahdi. Now we may think that this is something easy to say. We have an attachment to the Imam. We feel that we all love the Imam. Who amongst us would ever think that we would disobey Imam al-Mahdi if he were to appear tomorrow and ordered us to do something? So I'm going to give you an example right now. Imagine Imam al-Mahdi appears tomorrow and he gives you an order because we're all claiming that we would never disobey an order of the Imam. As the Ruayat say, his companions never disobey his orders. Imagine the Imam gave you an order never to miss a prayer. Imagine the Imam gave you an order never to watch haram or to listen to haram. How many of us can say that we would obey the Imam? How many of us would say that we are obeying the Imam now so that we fall in this category of people who are never in disobedience of Imam al-Mahdi. Because this is how they're described. They never disobey a rule or order of Imam al-Mahdi. This needs to become our criteria. Before I say I want to be a supporter of the Imam and work at world level, well, what am I doing for these little simple things? Who are the companions of Imam al-Hussein? Who are the companions, the close companions of Imam Ali or the Holy Prophet? You want to be the same thing with Imam al-Mahdi. How is that different? You need to conduct yourself in the same way. We are told in the narrations that they are true worshippers. We are told in one narration, for instance, that they are monks at night and they are lions in the day and their hearts are like lanterns. Okay, there's a logical sequence here. And I don't have time to go through it. I only have a few minutes left. If... I want to be a lion in the day, like the Imam will need me to be, then it means I get that strength and I get that courage and I get the source of that energy to be a lion in the day. I get it from what I'm doing at night. That's what that narration means. They are monks at night. They are lions in the day and their hearts are like lanterns. They are full of guidance. They are full of the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a logical sequence. You do this, you can get to the next one. You do the next one, you move to the next one. Okay? And the reason we're talking about all of this is this is the description we've been given of these people who are al-muwatti'un or who are the companions and who are the ansar. You want to fall into these categories? This is the work that's ahead of you. Start moving in that direction. Okay? And this is, in short, how we prepare for Imam al-Mahdi there's spiritual work, there's theoretical work. You need to work on your mind, acquire the notions, understand the history, know how everything fits in. You have to work on your spirituality, on your discipline, on your purification, and link emotionally with the Imam at all times. And then you need to take action, and you need to make sure that you're actually doing things, that you are moving, moving you in that direction moving the world in that direction, moving your family in that direction, moving your community in that direction. Okay? Okay. Now, with all of this said, we're just wrapping it up now. 
I want to just mention a quick point because a lot of people, when they want to associate with Imam al-Mahdi, they think that preparing for the Imam means I'm going to go and read these thick books like this and there are really good ones out there. Don't get me wrong, it's part of it. But it means going and learning all the signs of the reappearance of the Imam. Now that's, that's a secondary detail. I don't prepare for the Imam by learning the signs by heart and trying to apply, well, there's a narration that says this and this happens. Do you think this is what happened or not? Okay, that, that's good to know, but that's secondary. What really matters is how have you prepared yourself spiritually? How have you connected with Imam al-Mahdi more? So that you can really move. It means one more person in the world is now one of the Ansar, which is you, which is one of the Ansar, has become one of the Ansar of the Imam. You have become one of them, that's plus one in the army of the Imam, in the group following of the Imam and going against that current that he's trying to, to, to fight and he's trying to revolutionize, to reform. Okay, so keeping all of that in mind, let me allow, allow me by just finishing by saying the revolution of Imam al-Mahdi is not just in our narrations, it's not just a world event. It does not even stop at the level of earth. Allow me to say it this way. It's a cosmic event. It's an event that goes way beyond anything we can understand right now. And when it happens, we will understand. What it means maybe for instance, how the Imam will open up our world to other worlds. We need the Imam to come and reappear and then we will understand what all this means. The reason I'm saying this is so that we properly understand what kind of revolution and what kind of mission the Imam is going to be on. If you want a place on that mission, you need to understand the responsibility and the accountability that comes with that. This is not just kind of an easy, cheap ride where you can just say, I'm going to be part of the mission of the Imam. You understand the mission of the Imam and what he's trying to do? He's trying to reform human history all of human history. The reality of life on this planet is going to change completely with the, with the advent of the Imam. If you want to play a role, you need to understand how science and industry and technology and finance and communications and politics are going to move into the hands of the righteous who will rule based on divine justice. You need to move towards self-sufficiency. You need to become creative and innovative, fully masterful of what humanity has done, being productive, being beneficial for you and for others. You need to be of those people who are clearly identified as you are the best of the best. You've earned your place on that mission. You've earned your place in that revolution. And the last point maybe I wanted to mention very quickly is sometimes when we start moving in that direction and working on ourselves, we might fail and be tricked and start relying on ourselves. We think that I worked hard, I deserve this, you know, I do this, I get that. No, there is no you. It's all God. You rely on God, not on yourself. We live now in a culture of self-reliance, of individualism. Everybody thinks that because I work, I deserve. You don't deserve. If you worked hard, you worked hard. If you get, Allah subhanahu wa has decided you get. Someone else is maybe working as hard and not getting as much. And someone else is working a lot less hard than you and getting a lot more. This is all in the hands of Allah. Your job is not the end result. Your job is what are you doing about what you have. 
and the rest is in the hands of God. And this also includes all of your work towards Imam al-Mahdi What you're responsible for is not the outcome. What you're responsible for is yourself, your discipline, your actions, and what you are actually doing and moving in that direction. And the preparation required to move, to become one of those people who are with the Imam, the preparation that you need to put in, the energy that you need to put in, must therefore match the revolution that the Imam wants to bring to the world. You need to be aware of that. You need to educate yourself. You need to prepare yourself in every dimension of your life. You need to put all of this together and front and center as part of how you live. You are on a mission. You wake up in the morning and you know how you fit into this. And what are you doing today to move in that direction? And inshallah, with this, I can't take any longer. It's prayer time. With this, inshallah, we've kind of touched on the important points, reminders, inshallah, for all of you and myself, that we need to keep the imam of our time as our main priority. This becomes the lens through which we see everything in our lives. Okay? So uh, keep all of this in mind. Inshallah, this answers the question that we had last time we met which is how do we prepare for Imam al-Mahdi Inshallah, this answered the question. Very quickly, the other question that we had is, maybe are there any good books to recommend as we will start approaching the season of Muharram? It all depends what we're trying to accomplish. I would not say jump into a maqtal book unless you just want to understand the actual events as they happen. But events are one thing and their analysis and their connections are something different. So, generally speaking, I think there's maybe two books I would recommend for this. There's one book by uh, Sheikh Ayati, and it's in English, it's called um, A Probe in the History of, of uh, A Probe in the History of Ashura. A Probe in the History of, into the History of Ashura. That's one. Another one is The Life of Imam Hussein alayhi salam, the book called The Life of Imam Hussein alayhi salam by Sheikh uh, Baqar Sharif al-Qarashi. He not only gives you the life of Imam al-Hussein, he also explains all of the events all the way to his martyrdom in Karbala and the events that transpired afterwards when his family were taken to Medina and so on and so forth. So it's an excellent book, not because it's very, I think, easy to read. It reads like a story. It gives you all the main events but it also gives you the analysis that goes with it. So you also understand the why and how things are connected and why do they have uh, you know, any impact on each other. So those two books, I think, the first one is a lot more focused on the actual events of Ashura. The second one just gives you, generally speaking, and that's why I recommend it maybe as a first book, The Life of Imam al-Hussein by Sheikh Baqar Sharif al-Qarashi, I think is an excellent introduction to the life of the Imam as well as to the events of Ashura because they're covered in there. Inshallah, this was beneficial. Uh, see you all soon, inshallah. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi al-tayyibin al-tahirin. Allahumma